uh, tonight. We're going to read together questions and answers 127, 8, and 9. Uh, the last three questions from our Heidelberg Catechism. And so tonight we'll, uh, we'll end off a catechism. Uh, it's 52 Lord's Days, and uh, I think it was Lord's Day uh, 36, 37, 38 on the Third Commandment. We, we uh, clumped together, so we're going to do it in 51 Lord's Days. But tonight, Lord's Day 52. So Q&A 127 to begin with. I'll read the question if you would say with me, uh, the answers. So question 127, what does the sixth petition mean? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil means. We are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. The next question, how do you conclude this prayer, the Lord's Prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This means we have made, all made these petitions of you, because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name, and not ourselves, should receive all the praise forever. Finally, what does that little word amen express? Amen means this shall truly and surely be, for it is much more certain that God has heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire such things from him. Well, we come to the end of the Lord's Prayer tonight, and uh, that brings us to the end of uh, our year in the Heidelberg Catechism. I hope you've uh, seen that our catechism, and I hope that you've seen that it gets us into the Word. And uh, as we read through those questions and answers, there are lots of verses that are referenced there, and uh, those are for us to go back and to read. And so uh, our catechism is always meant to get us back into uh, the Word. Uh, we've been meditating upon the biblical teachings of guilt, grace, and gratitude. Uh, we've reflected on our only comforts in our Lord Jesus Christ to know that we have uh, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have to reflect deeply upon Adam's sin and our own particular sins. We also meditate upon the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's the biggest section of our catechism. Uh, thankfully, the guilt section is the shortest, uh, the grace section is the longest, and then we come to the gratitude section, uh, which brings us to the end. And it's in this gratitude section that we learn how to serve God in response. We respond to God's grace in love of Him, in love of our neighbor, that's the Ten Commandments, and we respond in a hopeful way uh, via the Lord's prayers. We lift up our hearts and our souls to God in heaven. Now, the Lord's Prayer teaches us many things, and just to quickly summarize, uh, to bring us here, uh, it teaches us, first and foremost, how to respond gratefully to God's grace. God has saved us from our sins, and we respond gratefully to him, and we do so from our hearts. He's liberated us from our sins and the slavery of our sin. He's liberated our consciences from the tyranny of the law. Uh, he's liberated our soul from the oppression of Satan and all of his minions, and so from our hearts, 
from a deep sense of our own particular needs and in confidence that God is our Father and he hears our prayers because he hears his very own Son. We pray, our Father who art in heaven. And so we pray first and foremost for his glory in the Lord's Prayer, that his name is honored, that his kingdom come, uh, and that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. But we also pray for our good, his glory and our good, that he would provide our daily needs, give us his daily, daily bread, that he would forgive us just as he is working in our hearts to forgive others. And finally, tonight, we pray for our good because we're asking him to enable us to live godly lives in the midst of a hostile age. And as I've been mentioning the last few Sundays uh, for this uh, season of Advent, we're always looking back and always looking forward. Looking back to the first Advent, we're looking back in faith, we're knowing the promises of God have been kept. Uh, we just sang from Isaiah chapter number 11 that that tree of David, the kingship of David had been cut down uh, and it was like a dead stump and it was petrified wood. But out of that stump, that little stump of Jesse, the father of David, a little a little shoot began to come up to regrow that tree of the kingly line. And that, that little shoot is our Lord Jesus. And so we look back in faith and we see all of God's promises and we also look forward in hope uh, that he's going to come again. Uh, and so in our time of, uh, in this life between these advents, we are constantly, I pray, growing in godliness uh, and also growing in prayer. And so tonight, he, we see that he enables us to live godly lives in the midst of a hostile age that you and I experience. And we conclude with a doxology. Uh, I know in the liturgy on Sundays, it says, you know, the doxology. I think it just says doxology. What, what, is that, what does that word mean? Doxology? Yeah, it's, a, it's a, literally a word of praise or words of praise. Uh, words of praise. So that's how the Lord's Prayer comes to an end. Uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And then there's the ancient exclamation point. They didn't have exclamation points back in the day. And so to make an exclamation point, you would say what? Amen, right? Amen. That's how you would give your exclamation point. So shall it truly be. And so we come to the end here. So this prayer, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation, uh, but deliver us from evil. Now, your Bible might have a little note there if you're, if you're in the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke, uh, it, Matthew 6, Luke 11, uh, the two passages of the Lord's Prayer shows up. You might have a little footnote there. It says something like, it can also be translated as the evil one, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Uh, it, can, it can go both ways. It can go both ways, and there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. Uh, but it is interesting. Uh, Herman Ritterboss is a great Dutch Reformed commentator, uh, New Testament scholar. Uh, he pointed out that, quote, Jesus continually emphasized that all sin and temptation are Satan's works. And thus, the translation, evil one, uh, is to be preferred. Because in the Gospels, it's always Satan who is doing this work of temptation. So it's not just evil as an abstract, but the evil one or the evil one. Uh, another commentator, William Hendrickson, pointed out that, that temptation is associated with the tempter of Jesus' temptation. So 
in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, it's only two chapters earlier, in Matthew 4, where Jesus goes out into the wilderness and is tempted by the tempter. And so his personal temptation is associated with the tempter, or as our as the Lord's Prayer says, uh, the evil one. Jesus came to bind the strong man. You might know that parable. He came to bind the strong man who had enslaved an entire house with demon possession. The strong man is Satan. Jesus has come to bind him, to enslave him, so that he might free all those captives in the house. And so Jesus always speaks of a very personal evil one, the tempter, the strong man, and so forth. Uh, those who hear the word in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, uh, those who hear the word but don't understand it, it's because the evil one, Jesus says, has come along the path and he snatched those seeds from their hearts. Again, it's not just abstract evil, generic evil, it's the evil one, Satan himself. Uh, the evil one, Satan, is the sower of the weeds. In the field of the world. There's this great field. It's the world, Jesus says, and the preachers are spreading seeds, the gospel. But there is one who comes. He's called the evil one. And he's the one who begins to sow weeds in the field of the world. When Peter rebuked Jesus, you might remember, when he rebuked Jesus for saying that he was going to die and rise again for the redemption of the world on the third day, what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Why would he say that? Because words like that, Lord, you know, far be it from you to die and rise for our salvation. That kind of a denial and that kind of a rebuke comes from the evil one. Get behind me, Satan. And it was Satan, Jesus said, who when Jesus was on trial under arrest, it was Satan who desired to sift Peter's faith like wheat. Children, during the summertime, when we go back to the beach, when it gets, little, when it gets uh, uh, nice and sunny, the water's warm, uh, you're going to play in the sand probably, and there's like that little, uh, it's called a sieve, we call it a sifter, that sifter toy, and you dig it into the sand and you shake it out and all the sand comes out, and the only thing that's left is shells, you know, rocks or whatever. Uh, that's what Jesus said the devil wanted to do with Peter's faith. He wanted to stick him in this little sifter and sift out his faith and, so that he would renounce the Lord Jesus Christ. So, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, the evil one himself, who brings evil into our lives. And now, you see in the catechism that these questions and answers really are just little prayers, little beautiful summaries of prayer for us. And so, in this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, uh, this is a prayer in which we are acknowledging various things. Lord, we are so weak that we cannot stand on our own even for a moment. We are so weak. Uh, this reflects passages like Psalm 103 where the psalmist says, We are dust. We are dust. We are like grass. We are like the flower of the field. The wind blows over the flower, dries it up, it withers it, it falls down, and it dies. That's you. That's you. As a human being, you are dust, you are grass, you are like a flower. You're here for a moment, you're gone the next. And so we pray 
as Jesus taught his disciples in this prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation. We are praying, as Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, I'm so weak. So we're asking God to help us. So we're doing it in a sort of a negative way. Lead us not, but that's what we're asking for. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I can do nothing against the evil one. It's also a prayer in which we acknowledge that our sworn enemies, and there are three of them, notice. Right? You've got to know these, know these, uh, these little, little tidbits of, of Christian theology. There are three enemies. The world, the flesh, the devil. The world, the flesh, the devil. Here it's the devil, the world, and our flesh. But the world, the flesh, and the devil. They never stop attacking us. Notice that. They never stop attacking us. What's that? I think there's a phrase by Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson or one of the founding fathers, something like, you know, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. I'm not sure who said that. Larry might know. He's from the Northeast. I don't know. Some, some founding father. I'm not saying that you're that old brother, but, uh, you know, there, uh, someone said that. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure you can Google it. You probably Google me right now. Uh, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance, right? The, the enemies are never ceasing to attack us. And so we are recognizing that in this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Our supreme spiritual enemy, especially here, the devil, as he's called. Now in Hebrew, ha-satan, or just Satan in English, uh, means the accuser, the accuser. And the equivalent in New Testament uh, in Greek is ho-diabolos, or the devil, the devil, the false slanderer. So the one who accuses and the one who slanders falsely. That's who he is. He never stops attacking us. He never stops attacking us. If you've gone to uh, the Animal Park kids or to the zoo, uh, maybe the Wild Animal Park especially uh, sticks out in our mind as a family, but, uh, and you go to the, to the lion enclosure, and if, when, the, when, the, when the lions are on the prowl, you know it. You can hear them roaring from the other side of the park like a mile away, even more than a mile away. You can hear that loud roar, very deep sound. And when they're active and they're out, they're moving, and they're always moving, they're always looking, they're always on the prowl, always on the hunt. Even when they're in captivity, they're always, by instinct, on the hunt, looking for something to eat. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion, Peter tells us, seeking someone to devour. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's a pretty scary thought, isn't it? And that's what the prayer is about. Lord, we have enemies like the devil, Satan, the accuser, the slanderer, always prowling about, always prowling around, looking for someone to devour. He never stops attacking us. The question I want to ask just for a couple of minutes is, how does he attack us? How does he attack us? There's, you know, there's, there's so much garbage out there today, uh, especially on social media, that uh, you can see sermon clips about you know, the devil and spirituality and spiritual warfare uh, that I want to sort of set the record straight. How does the devil attack us? How does he attack us? And the most important thing to take away from this, from the New Testament, is he does so through false doctrine, through false teaching. When the Apostle Paul told the, uh, told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, a very famous verse, that the devil disguised himself as an angel of light. What was he saying? 
What was he saying when he said that? That the devil or Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. And people take that and they extrapolate from that and they write very famous books and very popular best-selling books and so forth and make it sound as if the devil, looking like a nice holy angel, an angel of light, he comes into people's lives and one-on-one he talks to them and he communicates with them and he whispers to them and so forth. When Paul said that, that the devil, Satan, sometimes disguised himself as an angel of light, if you read the context, he's speaking about false teaching, false apostles, false preachers. So when false teaching is happening in the church, like I said this morning, it's Satan disguising himself as an angel of light. And that can look like a very smiley, happy preacher at times. And he has various schemes. Ephesians 6. Let's turn there. Turn, turn to Ephesians 6, the armor of God text. He's got various schemes. That's Ephesians 6, verse 11. And this one, false teaching, is the prominent scheme that he engages in. And Paul speaks of the so-called armor of God because it's that armor that's meant to protect us from the scheme of false theology, false doctrine, false teaching. Let's just go down the, down the list there quickly. You see there, beginning at verse number 14, there's this whole list of what a Roman legionnaire or soldier would have worn. The belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth, Ephesians 6, verse 14. Why? Because Satan opposes the truth with falsehoods right it's all about theology it's all about doctrine again verse 14 put on the breastplate of righteousness right put on the breast this thing that protects you from swords and and arrows the breastplate of righteousness why because satan as an angel of light as a false teacher is seeking to accuse us of our own unrighteousness of your unrighteousness. He wants you to know that and to think that and to, and, to, and, to, and to wallow in your own sinfulness and to only focus on your own sinfulness and to get you to doubt Christ's righteousness that's his, that's given to you. Put on that breastplate. Put on the breastplate of righteousness because the devil wants you to only see your sin and not to see Christ. Right? That's, that's theology. It has a practical application, but it's theology. Verse 15, as shoes for your feet, we are to put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What is that all about? The false theology of the angel of light, Satan, does not want you or me to spread the good news to the unsaved. He does not want you telling other people about the gospel. And so Paul says, no, put on the shoes. Put on the shoes. What, is the sh- what are the shoes? The readiness given by the gospel of peace. The readiness to go and to tell, to go and to speak. The shield of faith, verse 16, which extinguishes, as Paul says, all the flaming darts of the evil one. So just think about a bow and arrow, and they would, they would dip them in tar or oil, and then they would light them up and shoot them across a battlefield. Put on the shield of faith, because that shield extinguishes flaming arrows. 
of, notice again, the evil one, right? That very personal language. Why do we need to have that shield? Because the devil assaults our faith constantly like the Romans would have assaulted with a barrage of arrows. Assaulting our faith. The object of it, Christ. The subject of it, which is you, and whether or not you have enough faith, right? And like I've said many probably a million times, and I can probably say it another million times, uh, faith is not, its worth and its worthiness is not dependent upon the one who has the faith, but in the object of the faith, which is Christ. That's what he wants us to doubt most importantly, that Christ is worthy and Christ is sufficient and Christ is enough for my faith uh, to rest in and to receive what he has for me. So put on the shield of faith. Verse 17, the helmet of salvation Put on the helmet of salvation. Why? Because Satan attacks our assurance of salvation. Again, he wants us to doubt. I'm a sinner. Maybe Christ isn't good enough. Maybe Christ wasn't really for me. Maybe he is really good, but he's not for me particularly. He wants you to doubt salvation. And so put on the helmet, he says. Protect your mind from false doctrine. Again, verse 17. Take up the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon here. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, verse 17. Why? Because Satan wants us to doubt the Word of God like he got Adam and Eve to doubt it in the garden. He wants us to doubt the Scriptures, the Word of God, that it is God's Word, because he knows that the Word is our best offensive weapon, as it was even for Jesus, the second Adam, in his wilderness temptation. Remember what I mentioned, I think it was a couple of Sundays ago, whenever Jesus was tempted by the devil in Matthew 4, uh, three times he responded with, uh, it was in my sermon on Deuteronomy, that's what it was. Uh, when, when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness, unlike a nice lush garden, uh, Jesus responded three times with the book of Deuteronomy. Right? Because he knew the word of God was sufficient, right? Man shall not eat, uh, live by bread alone, but by the every word that proceeds in the mouth of God, and so forth. So, All these pieces of armor in Ephesians chapter 6 are meant to counteract and protect us from the angel of light, Satan, the devil, who never stops attacking us with false theologies, false doctrine. The world never stops attacking us. So again, we got to pray, Lord, protect us, help us, strengthen me, because the devil, the world, never ceases to, to attack me. It hated Jesus, and so it's going to hate me. It does not love us because it did not because we're not of the world. It persecuted the master, and so it's going to persecute us, the servants. John 15. Our own flesh never stops attacking us. What's the flesh? When Paul speaks of the flesh in the New Testament, what's he saying? The old man. Is that like... Is that what uh, your wife calls you, the old man? <laughs> the old man. Who's the old man? The sin nature. Good, right. So, certain to the rescue there. The old man, meaning Adam, right? Meaning our sinful nature, our sinfulness. Okay, our sinfulness. Um, never stops attacking us, never ceases to assault us. Our sinful nature then. Uh, and that, uh, as, as Romans 7, 23, it, it's always warring. 
Our sinful nature is always warring against the Holy Spirit and against our renewed minds. Never stops attacking us. Never stops attacking us. Now, we can very easily, we can just not pray the prayer and we can kind of, and we can give in and we can just capitulate to our sinful nature and just say, you know, that's just how I, how I am and, and who I am. Uh, there's an old Billy Joel song, and the title of it is Temptation, in fact. Uh, and he says there uh, in that song, just speaking of his, you know, I'm just going to kind of give in, you know, this is who I am. Uh, he says, I should be leaving, but I can't, cut, uh, I can't cut it loose. I have my reasons for resistance, but I have no excuse. And I lose my composure. I could use some restraint. I never claimed to be a hero and I never said I was a saint. Now, he's not singing as a Christian there. He's just, he's speaking of a woman in the, in the, in the context. And he's just, he's got to capitulate. He's going to give in. Right? He's going to cave in. He's tempted from the inside out and from the outside in. And he's no hero. He's no saint. But the believer is at war. We're at war with our sin nature. It's always attacking us. And so we have to always pray, Lord, uphold us. Make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. There's a lot of enemies. They have a lot of power. They have a lot of strength. But pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Watch and pray, Jesus said. Why? Because our help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Pray for his strength to make you resistant against the world, the flesh, the devil. Pray for endurance when you are assaulted. Pray for persistence in your spiritual battle until the very end. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's the big exhortation to us tonight, is to pray that prayer with understanding. To pray that prayer that the Lord would enable us and strengthen us and empower us to be full of endurance and persistence and strength and resistance against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the prayer concludes with that great and wonderful doxology that we say every Sunday, for thine or for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now notice the catechism, again, it's a little prayer there, and you know, we've, we're saying to the Lord here, we've made all these petitions, all six of them. Hallowed be thy name all the way down to lead us not. We made all six of these petitions to you for two reasons. For two reasons we, we pray that doxology, that, those words of praise. For two reasons. First of all, because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. God is the Lord. God, our Father, is almighty. We pray, as uh, one, of the hymns, one of our hymns says, that we, we lift heart and hands and voices to God because He's the source of all that was and is and is to come. And so we give Him praise. We come to Him in our prayers. Right? Prayer is a lifting up and an offering of our petitions and desires to God. It's not looking to ourselves and we're not meditating inward. We're praying outwards to God. He's our all-powerful King. He's willing, he's able to give us all that is good. But we also pray that little doxology 
Because, as the answer says, your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, the psalmist said. He is God, and I and we are not. So we pray to him. We give him the praise. The praise doesn't go to us. The doxology is not, again, not inward, and it's not downward, it's upward. It's divine word towards the Lord. How often uh, do we offer doxology to God in prayer? How often do we offer him words of praise in our prayer? Or is our prayer just all drudgery and all just a litany of requests without end? That's usually how our prayer kind of devolves. Lord, I need this and help me with that and give me through this, etc., etc., etc. But when we focus at the beginning, hallowed be thy name, and at the end, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, all those, little, all those things sort of fade to the background, and the Lord gives them to us. But it's focused on Him, first and foremost. So worship God in prayer. That's what prayer is, to worship God. So worship Him. Give Him praise, loved ones. Finally, we come to the end, uh, or to the, to the end of the end, we might say, uh, that little exclamation point, amen. Now, the Hebrew amen, uh, amen, is related to the Hebrew word for truth. And so when we pray amen, we're praying in truth and we're praying a truth. And so we're praying there, thus shall it truly and surely be. Because God is true. And so when we pray in his name and we pray these things that he's asked us and commanded us to pray for, we're simply praying out of truth and into his truth. And so because he's true, we have confidence. Because he is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, we know that what we're asking him is pleasing to him. And so we have confidence in prayer. Lord, we're praying these things because you've asked us to pray for these things. Amen. You're the truth. And so we're praying to you out of that very same truth. And so we have confidence in prayer. And that little, that, that, that little ending to our catechism, just such a, a beautiful way to end it, it begins, of course, with what is your only comfort in life and in death? Way back in question answer number one, uh, that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The, we end the catechism. It's much more certain that God has heard my prayer than I even feel in my heart that I desire such things from him. Notice the, the whole entirety of our catechism is that we belong to Christ and it's all about him. And so even the feeling that I have of prayer, that I want this prayer, that I even like this prayer, that I even know how to pray as I should, that I feel that it's an effective prayer and that I really, really, really want this thing that I've asked in prayer. It's more certain that God actually hears our prayers than it is that we actually even feel, that we desire and even deserve the things that we ask in prayer. You see that? It's more certain that God hears than it is even that you feel subjectively that you desire such things from Him. That should encourage us when we're lazy, (laughs) when we're tired, 
Uh, that should encourage us when we miss the mark constantly in our prayers, when we don't give God doxology in our prayers, when we don't pray according to these, uh, these petitions as the Lord Jesus Christ has given to us. He is more certain. He is true. You're not, right? Just be honest. Now, we want to feel, we want to have the right kinds of words, the right time and the right place, the right thing. But again, it's about the Lord. It's more certain that he has heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire such things from him. The Lord once said to the prophet Isaiah, before they call, I will answer. What a great encouragement. Before they call, he told the prophet Isaiah, speaking of the Israelites, I will answer. The apostle Paul tells us that our confidence is that God has ultimately kept his word in Christ. Amen, right? It's derived from the Hebrew words emet, which is, for, which is truth. And so God in Christ has kept his own word. He's kept all the promises of God in him. And so we can then say amen. God's fulfilled it all in Jesus Christ. And as Paul tells us, for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it's through him that is through Christ, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Again, it's more certain that God hears us. Why? Because his son is the yes and the amen of God. For every single promise God has ever made, because of that I can pray. I can come to God with confidence. I can come to him as a child and simply just ask some things and give him praise and thank him for what he's already given me and expect what he's going to give me, and in all of it, give him glory. Give him glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight that you have given to us uh, the Word, and you've given us the Spirit, uh, you've given us your promises, you've given us all that we need uh, in your Son, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your Word, and as we meditate upon it, Lord, that we would constantly uh, know and, uh, and uh, live out these wonderful truths that you've taught us. In this past year, we've thought about uh, the good news. Our, we've heard of our sins and the gospel and uh, our gratitude in Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would uh, abundantly bless us. And as we uh, go back into the Psalms and we uh, see how to pray, we learn how to pray, we uh, pray along with the psalmist, we pray the very words of Jesus. Uh, in the Psalms, and because he's prayed those words, we can pray them too. In all the ups and downs and all the joys and sorrows of this life, Lord, we ask you would enable us to pray, uh, to give to you glory, to ask for your strength, to, uh, to do all the things that we are commanded to do. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, hear us tonight and uh, hear us uh, every night, but hear us tonight uh, as we're gathered here Uh, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. When we come to you uh, with confidence and with joy, uh, with boldness, we come to you through him. Uh, We as your sons and daughters, we come to you in the Son. And we know that you'll hear us because you've already heard him. He's the yes. And we simply uh, reflect uh, that yes with our amen. And so we ask these things tonight. Uh, in our Lord Jesus Christ's name, uh, and all of God's people say, Amen. If you'd like to pray aloud as well, uh, please uh, pray.